0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, welcome to New Books and Music, a channel of the New Books Network. My name is Bradley Morgan, and I am joined today by my guest, Aaron Cohen. Aaron teaches humanities at the City Colleges of Chicago and writes for numerous publications, including the Chicago Tribune, Downbeat, and the Chicago Reader. He is the author of Move On Up, Chicago Soul Music, and Black Cultural Power, and the thirty-three in the third selection on Aretha Franklin's Amazing Grace. His latest book, co-written with Ramsey Lewis, is Gentleman of Jazz, A Life in Music, and is published by Blackstone Publishing. Aaron, thanks so much for joining me today. Well, thank you so much, Bradley, for having me. It's great to be here. So to get things started, just uh, can you briefly share with us what your book is
0: about? So Gentleman of Jazz is Ramsey Lewis's memoir. It's his autobiography, the story of his life, and I worked on it with him. I was one who put his words on paper and i also included uh voices from people he worked with musical colleagues uh voices from his family and his wife uh, janet lewis and i also included an introduction about why i believe that ramsey lewis should be more highly regarded uh, among the jazz uh experts, and I was going to say cognizante, but I think I might have mispronounced that word, um, among uh, jazz critics and scholars and such. And then also a uh, sort of compendium of what I thought were my favorite uh, albums of his. So it's a view of Ramsey Lewis from Ramsey Lewis with a little bit of insight uh, from my own critical perspective, I guess.
1: So as this is Ramsey's memoir, you had to collaborate with him closely on this book. How did that come about? And could you tell us what working with him was like? Sure. Um, I received a phone call
0: um, from Brett Steele, uh, Ramsey Lewis's manager, um, asking if I would be interested in working on Ramsey Lewis's book with him. Uh, Brett Steele had gotten my uh, contact information from a few mutual uh, friends and mutual associates who were familiar with my previous work as, uh, as an author and for my work at Downbeat. And so we set up a time, and I went to um, Ramsey Lewis's condominium to meet with him. I had prepared an outline for how I felt the project should go, how what I felt we should emphasize in the book, and also just to um, you know, see uh, if he uh, and I were able to get along well enough to work on a long-term project. And of course, I liked him right away. I'd met him before, uh, casually. I'd never interviewed him, but i had met him and spoke with him on a few occasions. So uh, I knew he was a really great man, uh, but just in terms of laying out our plan for working on it. So once we were both agreeing that we were going to do this project together, and then um, Brett found a publisher and found Blackstone Publishing, and then we were off. And then I was interviewing uh, Ramsey Lewis at his home um, or over Zoom uh, for a couple of years. And then that, and I also was interviewing musicians he worked with, uh, interviewed his sons, uh, interviewed uh, Janet, his wife, just to get a complete picture of him. And one of the things that I've always felt when I would read music memoirs is that it's important not just to
1: have the voice of the main person, but also others as well. You describe Ramsey as being rather humble and that your job was to transfer his sense of joy to the page. And I would imagine it takes some time to have someone open up like that. Can you tell us a bit about your friendship with Ramsey and the process of capturing that spirit for the book?
0: He was humble. He was quiet. He was very much interested in talking about the musicians who meant a lot to him people like Oscar Peterson. Um, he was also very interested in talking about his musical teachers and the musicians he worked with. But um, he would also describe the music that he created. He would describe in musical terms, which is what I felt was very interesting too, is how he put his work together. Um, but very soft-spoken, uh, not someone to, he, he would always use the phrase, he was never a uh, look, no hands ma kind of guy, um, you know, bragging about himself. Um, but he was also very self-assured, very confident in what he was creating, very confident in what he created, very uh, very assertive in um, standing up for himself in terms of uh, receiving what was duly his. And I, of course, agree with that 100%. Um, another thing, too, is a wonderful, sharp sense of humor. And um, sometimes it's it's not easy to transfer uh, spoken humor to the printed page because a lot of it is comes up in the context of conversation and comes up in response to something said. And so that was a challenge for me, was to try to bring that aspect of his personality to the page.
1: Unfortunately, Ramsey would pass way before the book was released so he never got to hear from people who knew him and the responses to that joy and humility that you captured in the book did you hear some of the responses that would have been shared with ramsey if he were still alive to see the book published
0: yes and let me say that that was of course uh, i i I still can't get over that um when when uh ramsey and i started the project. Uh, and we would talk about how much fun we would have once the book came out and how much fun we would have to celebrate, uh, the book's release and Janet as well. And, and, and my wife, LaVon, we, we talk about how much, how much, how great a time we would have. And I also miss Ramsey being here. I miss him. I miss his music. I miss, I mean, his performances. I miss his sense of humor. I miss his warmth. I miss, uh, so much about him. And, um, Working on the book, that was another reason why I wanted to include uh, voices of uh, his colleagues was because they, through speaking for the book, um, expressed um, how it was working with Ramsey Lewis or working for Ramsey Lewis. And he was able to see that um, because he was reading the pages uh, up until the time uh, of his passing. So he was able to receive um, some response from people who were close to him. Um, And it is... Still, I'm still very, very uh, sad about him not receiving um, the accolades from uh, people who were very much um, fascinated by his life story, who drew a lot from his life story. And there have been so many people, not just musicians, but fans and listeners and people who have read the book, who um, I'm sure Ramsey would have loved have loved, loved to have heard how people responded to his thoughts on his life and life in general, because part of the book too, um, Ramsey spoke about social and political issues and I'm sure, uh, which he didn't do so much of when he was on stage or in uh, interviews, but he did for the book. And I'm sure he would have loved to have, um, heard from readers who responded to that
1: i'm sure that was very difficult and my condolences for the passing of your friend and i really appreciate you sharing all that with me um because it's a really great book in its own right and it's and it's got a fascinating history but how it all came together and that relationship you developed with ramsey is very interesting and it was great to see that kind of spirit carry through and i wanted to open up the interview talking about that to you know then go in to talk about his life and his music and get to the bones of that so let's let's move on to talk about ramsey's life and career what was life like for him as a young boy before he started playing music well he grew up in cabrini green
0: um the cabrini green projects which were different then in the 1940s and 19 early 1950s when he was growing up there um, but it was still a chicago housing project and he had uh working-class uh parents who he had his origins in the south and he he speaks in the book about the migration the great migration and he speaks about segregation in chicago and he speaks about um his father's uh struggles even though his father didn't use the word struggle his father um but his, his father did struggle his mother struggled and through all of that uh through all of that from a very early age um he responded to his parents love for music, um, as difficult as things were for uh, the family economically, they had a piano in the house and music in the house. And, you know, as, as Ramsey tells the story, it was originally his older sister who was supposed to take piano lessons, but a very, very young, uh, Ramsey, um, you know, (laughs) right away (laughs) took to it and, um, was so dedicated. And, um, so studious about music and he originally wanted thought he would play classical music and that was his original idea um he was also working hard um he was holding down you know jobs as a young man um while he was in high school um even after high school before his musical uh, career uh took off where he could earn money for music he was uh, working in a record store so he was always very hard working in addition to being uh, devoted to music um and he he was also very much involved in music of the church, um, through his father and through other churches in Chicago. So he was growing up very studious about classical music. He would hear jazz, he would hear popular music of the day, but his original impetus, so to speak, his original incentive, his original passion was for the classical music that he was being taught, that he practiced diligently as well as the music in the church. He went to, um, through his father, um, AME Church, which is a different denomination than the Baptist and Pentecostal churches that have given birth to gospel. Um, But as Ramsey explained, there was some elements of Baptist and Pentecostal gospel in the uh, AME Church that he attended. Um, He really came into jazz by accident, um, you know, and um, so um, he was invited to... uh, play uh as part of this group called the clefts the west side clefts and he kind of at first uh fumbled his way through it but was encouraged to learn about jazz and to go listen to jazz records listen to what jazz was all about and this was as he was a teenager and um wells high school and so he became interested in this jazz music again as a teenager and um started with the trio which was originally an offshoot from the clefts and they started uh, playing around town playing in clubs around town and he took a not only take a liking for jazz but he really early on showed a real affinity and um a real clear ability for jazz as a 19 20 year old and started recording for chess records uh argo a subsidiary of chess here in chicago And slowly things started to build. And then um, they were touring around the country
1: and the in crowd took off. And that's another story. So I'm glad you brought up the church earlier because Ramsey was nine when he started to play music in the church. And I wanted to get a sense of what those performances were like. Well, he drew so much from
0: voices. He drew so much from his father's voice, from the voice of the choir, uh, from the back and forth call and response as it is and he was absorbing it and even if you know there are certainly no recordings of him as a nine-year-old uh you know church pianist one can imagine that you know much of what he was absorbing certainly as Ramsey spoke about uh came through in his playing later on as he mentioned a lot of what was described as uh, a bluesy feel was really a church feel, really a gospel feel. He liked the blues. He listened to the blues, but the blues and gospel were so connected are so connected in so many ways. Um, you know, and the fact that it was described as a bluesy feel rather than a gospel feel, I think says more about the background of certain music critics than it does, you know, actual musical study. But um, you know all that phrasing the chord progressions in the church uh, came in through his music throughout his career and also the one of the things that he's always would reiterate to me is the whole idea about um feeling in music um, about that emotional connection um you know if if uh if motown did not uh, have a hit with uh you know um uh, reach out, um, you know, then uh, he he would have probably uh, coined the term because he used it so much. And um, so, yeah, that whole feeling of having that emotional immediacy, um, as opposed to anything else that one could bring to jazz,
1: um, that was his incentive. And that really came from those early days in the church. So at any point when he was younger playing in the church, and he's got this affinity for classical music, did he compartmentalize his his performances or did he find ways to kind of bring one influence in the other as in you know did he bring a bit of that classical training into his church performances uh, he
0: did some flourishes but i think mainly when he was playing classical um uh, you know and studying it so much i think from what he told me uh, um very very much playing what was on the page playing it as mozart and bach and um you know beethoven uh and the russian composers as they had presented it. Now, later on, um, he brought it all together. Um, Later on, he would bring together classical and uh, gospel in a very interesting and unique way. Uh, But that was later on. So um, if he did compartmentalize it uh, at first, um, those compartmentalized barriers were broken down later on in the 1960s.
1: So one thing I found really interesting in the book, and this speaks to Ramsey's humility we were discussing earlier, is that when Ramsey was 12 years old, his piano teacher recommended that his parents take him to the Chicago Musical College, but Ramsey did not feel a sense of accomplishment about that. Um, he had some rather conflicted feelings about it. Um, why? Well, he, you
0: know, uh, felt at the time that, um, according to what he told me, that um, he was still getting his feet wet, so to speak. In a lot of that, um, he was still um, wondering about, you know, where to go. He was wondering about, um, you know, again if he belonged there um but at the same time he still put in the work um he still you know believed in the music he really did believe in his in himself um there were so many you know even though he didn't say so um there there was there were so many times when since he was nine years old where um growing up he could have said you know this is not for me I'm gonna go and take this easier route and he didn't he never did And I think that, um, you know, even though he might have felt humble, he might have felt, you know, whether he was prepared enough or not, he felt enough self-confidence to keep going and to dedicate himself to a new path, whatever it may have been. And that
1: was consistent throughout his life. Could you tell us more about how Ramsey was developing his talent at the Chicago Musical College?
0: Well, one of the most important uh, people in Ramsey's young life, uh, aside from his immediate family, was Mrs. Mendelssohn, um, his piano teacher, and um, he would describe her as, as you know being a very small woman, um, but very emphatic in teaching Ramsey. Very emphatic in what he could do. Uh, very emphatic in enforcing uh, discipline uh, on him in terms of having a practice regimen. In terms of. Um, you know what you would tell him about making the piano sing and of course you know he had no early on as a young person had no idea what that meant but you know, when he really realized what sort of feeling he should get from the piano, whether he was playing classical music or playing anything. And Mrs. Mendelssohn, um, or Ms. Mendelssohn, he was very insistent on always calling her Ms. Mendelssohn, Mrs. Miss Mendelssohn. Um, uh, very proper. And uh, so Ms. Mendelssohn's instruction uh early on when he was 12, 13, 14, into his teen years. Very crucial, uh, very crucial in his development and someone who he still speaks about or spoke about uh, often uh, during our conversations.
1: So around the time he's attending the Chicago Musical College, he's still attending regular school, which is a challenge, you know, for someone really talented musically to balance, you know, those kind of different commitments. Um, And Ramsey says he was reading a lot at this time and as someone who loves to talk about books um, and knowing that he remained a devoted reader his entire life, what was he reading
0: in school? Well, in school, um, that was the interesting thing. So he went to Wells High School, and it was um, pretty much uh, known that he was a great pianist, even early on. So he was oftentimes, as he told me, pulled out of class to uh, perform, you know, the 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 dance company the school dance company needs an accompanist um you know this production needs a pianist so he would literally be pulled out of class to play piano for whatever uh class whatever assembly was needed or whatever so um you know a lot of the reading he did um he did because he loved and it wasn't so much part of the school curriculum uh per se um but he would you know read um read up on astronomy uh read up on um you know articles about history and faith philosophy uh one of the books he recommended uh was a man thinketh which was a uh book from a few decades earlier uh but you know had little you know philosophies in it about living one's life um which is actually an interesting thing you know um one of the questions that when Ramsey after Ramsey passed and there were so many questions that um i wished i had asked him when he was alive but they just did not occur to me and one of them was that if he did not get into music because you know again as a musician his career uh took off at an early age and i i had always i realized i should have asked him that if he did not become a musician um what he would have accomplished what he would have done and I mentioned this to his widow, uh, Janet, um after Ramsey passed. and um and she mentioned that he probably uh, would have said that he would have wanted to be an astronomer that um that was uh, something that was always fascinating uh, to him. So I can imagine that when he was when he was very young and when he wasn't at the piano, um he was going to the planetarium and
1: reading about um the world the worlds, the planets. What sense did you get that his passion for reading influenced him as a musician? One of the interesting things,
0: too, is, um, and this was actually, it was interesting, you know, I knew about this, his passion for reading, uh, because his um, former band member, uh, Maurice White, who uh, went on to warm Earth, Wind, and Fire in Maurice White's memoir, uh, he mentioned that when he was in Ramsey Lewis's group, Ramsey Lewis was always giving him books, um, you know, books like the autobiography of Malcolm X. Um, When... I was interviewing uh, Ramsey for the book and we would talk about uh, the migration. And um, he brought up Isabel Wilkerson's um, book about the great migration. Um, So he was, so I can imagine that reading history, reading about, and then when he was working on um, his later, um, you know, uh, proclamation uh, where he would read about the life of Abraham Lincoln uh reading about history having history inform um his writing his music his composition um reading about other countries uh his albums like uh Solongo and reading about the um the confluence of African South American Latin American American African American music sources I think that all came from his reading of history reading about um, what brought all of these cultures together and what made them distinctive as well so I think that all came across uh, throughout his career.
1: Ramsey says in the book that reading really got him to think about what he refers to as man's inhumanity, in which he means the systemic intersectional racism and classism that, you know, certainly was was a major problem for him growing up, but still continues to exist. Um, and in a lot of ways, could you tell us more about how that? Um, motivated him as 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 a person as an artist his advocacy work that that connection from reading and getting more of a sense of the larger american dichotomy
0: sure well that's the interesting thing too is um and that's something and it was also the way uh ramsey uh told it um and i tried to uh capture on the page the way he told it was um, a lot of the racial situations that he encountered um, as a young person were ones that he realized in in retrospect, uh, such as uh, his father's story, um, an early encounter uh, in the South when he was young, that uh, when he was young, he was not really sure about why these things were happening and this is all described in the book. so I'm not being you know deliberately vague, but uh, they're all in the book in more clear terms. but um, some of those incidents um, that he saw as a young person and the situation as a young person, as an older person, he realized that it was because of racism that things these childhood experiences, these things he saw were the way they were. Um, when he got to be in high school, and of course as a teenager, was certainly much more aware of uh, segregation, and much more aware of segregation in Chicago, and uh, much more aware of the um, hostility that was around. And again, there was very specific incidents that he talks about in the book that I'd rather leave in the book, but he's certainly becoming more aware um, as an adult, and he moves uh, when he's able to earn money. Uh, as a musician, good, a good amount of money as well. And he moves to the Jackson Park Highlands in the latter 1960s, and is living there in the 1960s and 1970s. And lovely, lovely neighborhood in South Shore. And, you know, his neighbors were people like Reverend Jesse Jackson, and other, uh, other, you know, black uh, athletes, and, um, you know, successful black entrepreneurs. And that helped his consciousness in terms of uh realizing that it's one should own one's own self in this society and one should um empower, be empowered to take care of one's business to own one's business own one's publishing um he he didn't want to go into too much detail about his uh about the chess records company and about what he had to deal with there. I mean, he did, he did reveal some and that's in the book, but I think that part of that experience made him very much aware of, um, what happens when artists don't own their publishing? When they don't own, especially African American artists, um, you know that was that was pretty clear to him, and he took action. Um, not just for himself, but was active in different causes. Whether it was voter registration, whether it was um, advocacy work, um, you know, was certainly uh, very much involved in those
1: in those causes. Let, let's talk about those causes because you write in the book that Ramsey wanted his memoir to serve the same purpose as his work in education. Could you share with us what he meant by that and the work that he was doing for education advocacy and and how you captured that for the book, considering that was what he wanted his memoir to be bit? Sure. Well, I mean, in terms of musical education, he was very active here in Chicago
0: in um, running clinics, running schools and running programs, Um, he and also uh, the folks at Ravinia. Um, would talk to me about how Ramsey Lewis not only was very emphatic about uh, the education program at Ravinia, but also making it more equitable to people from all over the city, um, the area, Chicago area. And um, musicians would tell me and in, in the book about how Ramsey Lewis would take professional musicians into Chicago city schools, into schools that were often disadvantaged and teach them what he knew most, which was music and to teach them about all that, you know, music can do for, uh, for a young person and an older person too, of course, and and was very much a part of that, but it was in that sort of micro scale, I guess I should say in terms of one-on-one, you know, advocacy and getting, organizations musical organizations that he was involved with to go into the city go into chicago and educate young people and that was on the micro level on the macro level um you know uh 20 uh 20 24 years ago i'm trying to do the math in my head um you know when he saw uh barack obama uh rising in the before he was a senator this is before he won the primary for senate uh, barack, uh ramsey lewis was one of the first advocates for uh, Barack Obama's candidacy uh, as a US senator. Um, this is before everybody else was jumping on the Obama bandwagon. And uh, Ramsey Lewis was very um, outspoken about what um, Obama could have promised um, the country and the world through his uh, political ascent. And he was also very clear about the forces that were ultimately holding him back. So, on that larger You know, level and also too, um, you know, through his travels throughout the world, what he was able to glean and learn from the places he was able to go to, throughout the country, throughout the world, was able to see and do and learn from, and to just realize that there were just different ways of seeing the world through that.
1: I wanted to ask about his reading habits and and his education because, besides me just finding it personally interesting, it also shows how open-minded of a person Ramsey was. We were just talking about the role music played in his childhood earlier, but I want to jump ahead a few years. By the time he releases his album Mother Nature's Son, his Beatles covers album from 68, he already had a lot of success as a musician. And thinking about that open-mindedness I see in Ramsey, just from him being an avid reader and with his education initiatives, Mother Nature's Son really sticks out to me. Could you talk about the changes he underwent stylistically that brought him to a place where he would record a Beatles cover album?
0: Sure. Uh, Well, and I think in terms of the takeaways for the book, in terms of keys to success and Ramsey Lewis never told me, okay, here are the bullet points key to success, key to success in the arts, key to success in music. I think one of the takeaways that I gleaned from Ramsey, and hopefully people who read the book will see that the keys are number one, you know, be work hard at what you do. Uh, number two, uh, work with colleagues who are um, you know, really great colleagues. And number three, be open-minded to new ideas. And Mother Nature's Son was certainly the result of those three elements. Um, you know, Ramsey Lewis was, you know, very accomplished as a pianist very much seeped into classical music and what that could be and he was open-minded uh to work with the great charles stepney uh producer composer arranger and you know even though ramsey lewis could have done you know in crowd part two or another repeat of his hits he would listen to what a very adventurous a very um experimental Uh, producer composer arranger like um charles stepney would 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 you know have as an idea and one day uh charles stepney uh said to ramsey lewis hey you know the beatles just released this album i don't even know if it was called the white album then because as we know it was just called the beatles and uh and charles stepney said i got a great idea you know we can do our version of it now charles stepney was very much into electronic music, uh, very much into early moves and synthesizers and all of that. So along with uh, Ramsey, along with Charles Stepney's conceptual ideas, which and Stephanie realized that that would require to really fulfill would require somebody who also had a classical and jazz background, and that was Ramsey Lewis. Um, also work with someone who was very much open-minded about these new synthesizers and Moogs and Poly Moogs and all this other stuff, and be open to the idea of doing their own interesting version of a new Beatles album. I mean, this wasn't just let's just play some Beatles tunes, but you know, this was a you know a far-out Beatles album. And it, the Beatles album itself had only been out for like a couple of weeks at that point. So it wasn't even, let's just do a few hit Beatles songs. This was, you know, this new, uh, very wide ranging, uh, very experimental Beatles album. We're going to put our own It just came out, you know, again, a few weeks ago, we're going to put our own twist on it. And, you know, it took Ramsey uh, a minute to think about it, but then was like, okay, great, let's do it. And of course Ramsey also had his own great, you know, working trio, you know, with, uh, you know, Maurice uh, Maurice White and, you know, and the the bassist, uh, you know, Cleveland Eaton. So, um, you know, we had the crew, the core crew to to do this. And and it was wonderful. Um, I mean, it was certainly not, you know, just let's play a Beatles song and have an instrumental version of it, but, you know, taking it way out. So those are, you know, I think those three keys to Ramsey Lewis's long and very important uh, musical career, uh, those three key ingredients came to play uh, very much so on this uh, interpretation, um, Mother Nature's Son, which was their interpretation of the Beatles, what's now called the White Album.
1: I just find it really interesting how he continued to be so open to new ideas and influences. And, you know, he was already very successful. So this is despite the validation that could come from being commercially and critically successful. And one example I really liked about that open-mindedness is that he said that during the mid-70s, he was really impressed by the fresh ideas these younger musicians were bringing to his group. Who were they and, and how were they shaping Ramsey's music at that time? Sure.
0: Well, um, you know, a lot of these uh, young musicians who joined his group were uh, musicians who were uh, part of the Chicago RB and b scene, of the 1960s, not so coincidentally, the scene that I wrote about in my previous book, Move On Up. Um, but these were people like the uh, percussionist uh, Durf Recklaw, um, who was a composer, percussionist, uh, flutist, um, and just this really just wild and Wild guy in the best possible sense of the word. Um, Like uh, an an example of his wildness was um, his real name was Fred Walker, but he liked to give everybody backwards names, including himself. So he went by Durf Recklaw. So um, he brought his compositions to the group. And then there were people like the guitarist uh, Byron Gregory, um, you know, who who joined uh, Ramsey's group and on um, albums like uh, Solongo. Um, you know, they were bringing the funk, so to speak. And, you know, at this time, you know, funk had become this whole, you know, uh, other thing with not just, you know, Maurice White's Earth, Wind and Fire, but also other groups like George Clinton's Parliament Funkadelic and, uh, groups like that. So these younger musicians like Durf Recklaw and Byron Gregory, um, and, you know, and Steve Cobb, they were, um. You know, the drummer Steve Caboos you know um they were bringing this music these musical ideas and their compositions to these really great um albums like Solongo that um is it funk is it jazz is it its own thing um you know um and and Ramsey Lewis let them get as as crazy as they wanted to and again you know Ramsey Lewis never pretended to be anybody else but Ramsey Lewis he was you know a very uh, refined very uh, proper you know, accomplished jazz musician with classical training, but then, you know, it was this great contrast to these, uh, younger, uh, wilder guys, um, who were uh, bringing it to his group. Um, and then another young musician who, uh, collaborated with, um, uh, Ramsey on uh, Love notes was Stevie Wonder and Stevie Wonder was never a uh, member of Ramsey Lewis's group but you know admired Ramsey so much he would you know show up and and give Ramsey uh, two fresh songs and play on his uh, love notes album. again, ramsey yeah okay come on over stevie you know it was great um so uh you know and the results are on the records you know obviously i was since i was a young kid i never saw them perform live back in the mid-70s but um gosh would love to see footage of that um if anybody out there has youtube footage of you know ramsey lewis's
1: mid-70s groups let me know so we talked a little bit about ramsey's um music and he of course monumental figure in in the music world but he would have a very interesting career outside of performing as a musician as well. And he credits Bill Taylor as having a huge influence on his career outside of music. Who was Bill Taylor? And could you tell us more about Ramsey's work outside of music?
0: Well, Dr. Billy Taylor, in addition to being a great jazz musician, was a great media personality on TV, radio, um, not just as a performer, but one hosting music programs, bringing musicians on and speaking with them interviewing them performing with them because of course also having the ability to perform with them is a high bar as well uh dr billy taylor was all of those things and he convinced ramsey lewis that he too could do what he was doing in terms of interviewing people in terms of um you know presenting jazz musicians to a tv audience um speaking with them and being able to relate to them you know on a shared level and I think that's an incredible incredible thing to be able to do um and then uh, Dr Billy Taylor and Ramsey Lewis performed together and there was a lot of things about this stage technique that even though Ramsey had been performing for many many years uh you know performing with Billy Taylor put his you know demeanor and stage direction in a different way and Ramsey speaks about that in the book so you know Ramsey was able to be uh, on television uh, and on radio for a long time through what uh, Billy Taylor introduced him to about that media, because like with anything, it's a different skill set. Um, you know, just because somebody is able to speak well or write well does not mean they can go on a TV <laughs> set and speak well and talk well on camera or interview people on camera live. It's a whole different skill set. And and uh, Billy Taylor brought that skill set to Ramsey.
1: So there's an interesting point in Ramsey's life where after 50 years of being a successful musician, there comes a point in his life when he starts to deeply self-evaluate to prepare for some oncoming musical challenge he recognized were on the horizon. So he starts studying classical technique again. What were some of those challenges and how how was his approach to classical technique meant to address those challenges?
0: Well that was one of the interesting things too was um you know he was humble enough to realize that there were certain um ways that he was playing in which um you know he could have you know held his hands in a different way he could have used his fingers in a different way he could have Um, you know, done different things in terms of keeping in shape, so to speak. Um, And that came from renewing his classical training. Um, This was, again, you know, decades after his initial classical training. So um, it wasn't so much going back to the basics and relearning the material or relearning um, how to um, play it. But um, as he would say, uh, when you do something for a long time. Sometimes you pick up some bad habits um, as a player and he wanted to get rid of some of those bad habits and through renewing and through studying classical piano again, he could diminish those.
1: There's one performance I want to talk to you about and you, and you briefly mentioned earlier, and it's the one from 2009 when Ramsey was celebrating the 200th anniversary of Abraham Lincoln's birthday. And it's for a project called proclamation of hope, a symphonic poem. And in the book, Ramsey says that he wrote the piece for the whole country. So he wanted to be all over the piano because he felt that you could not write a complete work and not feel there is not a glimmer of hope. What did he mean by all over the piano? And could you tell us more about the piece and how it was composed with that in mind?
0: Well, that's the other interesting thing, too. I mean, Ramsey Lewis had been playing for decades. He had been working for decades. He had been, you know, very well established. But again, being open-minded, taking on a new challenge. And that was one thing he had not done, was compose uh, an epic work. And, and he worked with Scott Hall, uh, another great musician here in Chicago, on putting it together, and it was at the you know, behest of the folks at Ravinia. Um, so you he, he work with a colleague. Again, that's another part of that success is having a colleague and Scott Hall and um, – there were certain tones, um, certain feelings, uh, from the piano that he would reemphasize in this piece. Um, you know, as we know in, in a piece about Abraham Lincoln, um, and slavery, huge, you know, part of that story, that narrative, huge part of the American story, the American narrative. So there are certain piano tones, um, that needed to be emphasized. Um, certain keys, um, certain tonalities, um, certain registers that, I mean, he certainly played, I mean, he played in all register, he played all 88 keys, but in terms of emphasizing them, in terms of emphasizing the lower end, uh, emphasizing the uh, darker rumblings of um, certain tonalities, um, he had to really get in there. He had to really get into those tonalities. And um, you know, of course, you know, he had played them, he played everything before, but to really emphasize that for that particular part, um, that was something he hadn't done before so much.
1: Towards the end of the book, Ramsey noted that he never listened to piano players when he was performing because he didn't want to be influenced by them. But when he retired, he started listening to a lot more music. Who was he listening to? Oh, he went
0: over, uh, his whole sort of, uh, what was on his playlist that time I asked him and, um, and I think also, too, uh, when, when Ramsey said he didn't like to listen to other pianists, um, maybe he did. I, I think but he didn't listen to so intensely. I don't think he ever would. But I, he knew what was going on. I mean, he knew who was doing what at all times, you know. But, um, you know, at that playlist, oh, he was listening to South American music, uh, Jobim. Um, he was listening to, oh, another thing about Ramsey Lewis, he always loved movies. So I think he was at that particular day when he told me that, he was listening to some uh, uh, Morricone uh, scores as well that day. Um, he was going back to listening to uh, various uh, pianists uh, play Bach. Um, he was also you know, re-engaging with his uh, favorites like uh, Oscar Peterson, again, who he always loved. Um, he was also listening to Joe Beam uh, on that day. Um, you know, I'm sure if I asked him on a different day, um, he would have said completely different people. Um, but um, yeah, that was, I think, that particular day. Those were the ones I
1: remember that Morricone uh, stood out. Were there any newer artists he gravitated towards?
0: There were a lot of musicians um, he always uh, gravitated to, um, you know, younger musicians throughout um, throughout his life. Um, I remember, um, you know, he had, had spoken about uh uh, pianists like um well, contemporary young pianist uh, Joe Alterman, um, he always liked. He mentioned him uh, very much, spoke very highly of him. Um, but there have always been other uh, younger pianists um, he liked, uh, whether it was Eric Reed, Danilo Perez, um, uh, so many who who he would you know like and admire.
1: So, for a legend who has a wide musical discography, we didn't talk a lot about his music here. I mean, there's so much in the book and his life and story. Uh, we skipped over a wide swaths. So. I, I do want to take uh, a chance to kind of cover a little bit more of his musical area. Um, the book closes with his with his discography. And so I want to know what are some of your favorite Ramsey albums?
0: Well, I wanted to use the discography to, you know, of course, there's like 80 <laughs> albums and I couldn't, describe each one because that would have been another book. But I wanted to list them all and then um, take about 25 and mention them as my favorites and say why. And some of these we've talked about, Mother Nature's Son... Um, and some of the popular ones, I want to talk about why uh, I felt that they were not just popular but deserve their popularity in crowd, for instance, um, Sun Goddess, his recording with uh, Maurice White that after, after Maurice White had hit it big with Earth, Wind, and Fire and brought back uh, to Ramsey uh, this you know beautiful sound, Sun Goddess, uh, Solongo, uh, which I mentioned where he let his uh, younger crew get funky. But one album that was an early album that um, I felt really uh, should get more attention was um, Bach to the Blues. And um, that was an album that was real very interesting in a lot of ways, because at the time in the early 1960s, there was this um, movement that was called third stream about bringing together classical music and jazz and this, and Bill Evans, you know, uh, Gil Evans, sorry, Gil Evans was big on that. Gil Evans who worked with Miles Davis and uh, Gunther Schuller, people like that who were uh, bringing, um, you know, the classical sound and jazz sound together in this big sort of epic way. And Ramsey Lewis did not, adhere to that. Um, he brought classical music and jazz together on Bach to the blues in a very different way. Um, he would uh, play composer. He would create new songs that were based on his interpretations of, uh, of, of Bach, especially also too of uh, Russian composers uh, like Rachmaninoff. He had a great feel for uh, Russian, uh, classic Russian composers. And we'd bring together that gospel background, that gospel feel, although, as the album called it, the album title called it Box to the Blues, and there were certain bluesy aspects to it as well, in these very interesting, very succinct, um, you know, three, four minute compositions, uh, three, four minute, uh, you know, tracks, so they weren't um, these sort of epic third stream types of uh, classical jazz hybrids. But these were jazz hybrids that he, and he did this with his original trio with uh, L.D. Young and Red Holt. Uh, L.D. Young, the bassist, and Red Holt, the drummer. So great trio um, and a great original take on combining classical music with jazz, gospel, and blues, and done in a style that was completely uh, Ramsey's own. And I think that's, that's a really great album that deserves a lot more attention um along with those that are so popular
1: and so what would you recommend for someone who is less familiar with ramsey's work or, or new to his discography it's it's so massive um there's a lot of great work there but um you know you're you're an expert in in soul and R and gospel and you have the benefit from that but for those who are just treading the waters for the first time in those genres and ramsey's discography where would you recommend uh they start
0: well certainly uh you know uh They're the ones that people are familiar with that I mentioned, uh, In Crowd, uh, Sun Goddess, uh, Solongo, Bach to the Blues, Um, but then also, too, those uh, records he made with Charles Stepney uh, that were so advanced musically mother nature's son piano player um those later uh, 60s records um so those will be starting places um, and it's not an album but if you can get a hold of the dvd of proclamation of hope um, his epic uh performance connecting Uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, with uh, the wider swath of American history uh, up to the election of Barack Obama. Definitely pick up that DVD. Uh, You know, certainly a multimedia experience that um, which, again, Ramsey was doing uh, towards the end of his career. So those were good, good starting places.
1: Well, Aaron, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I had a great conversation. And this was an excellent book. And um, I think you really accomplished what Ramsey had set out to do with it. And I think you should be very proud.
0: Thank you very much, Bradley. It was wonderful to speak with you and uh, wonderful to speak to all of your listeners, too.
1: My name is Bradley Morgan, and you've been listening to New Books and Music with my guest, Aaron Cohen. His latest book, co-written with Ramsey Lewis, is Gentlemen of Jazz, A Life in Music, and is published by Blackstone Publishing.